You said you could hurt someone for me. What did he do to you? This world is predators and prey. He took the only thing I care about. Say what you want. And I want to set his life on fire. Welcome, everybody, to the second episode of Schmucking Around. That's right, we are back as Schmucking Around. We are no longer spieling and dealing, but we're still bringing you everything you want to hear. And this week, my guest co-host, I'm welcoming back a guy who thinks the Browns are going to win the Super Bowl, so he's really the biggest schmuck around, Cody Bruff. Cody, how you doing, man? Doing great. Glad to be on. No schmucking around there. That's facts. Facts. Yeah, you're really that confident in the Browns uh, uh, <laughs> this year? Um, I'm as confident in the Browns as I am that the Cavs are a terrible organization. So, you know, I balance it out. <laughs> I'm glad you said the Cavs because basketball is sort of a theme this week on Schmuckin' Around, as is horror. So we got horror and basketball this week. Um, we're going to be covering Untold, The Malice at the Palace, a new documentary series. Uh, well, one episode of a new documentary series on Netflix. We're also going to be talking about Brand New Cherry Flavor, a horror thriller limited series on Netflix. And finally, we're going to be covering the third episode of What If, uh, you know, because we're, we're, we're on top of all the Marvel stuff here. But um, before we get into all that, I just want to say the news just came across the wire that uh, like literally with less than an hour ago, Ed Asner, um, great prolific actor, had just died. You know, I got to mention this, you know, one of the top Jews in Hollywood. Um, I don't know if you know him offhand, Cody, but he, he's been like one of the most prolific actors for a long time. He he was an elf. He was Santa Claus, an elf. He was the oh, old, okay. he was the old man and up um, and much like he's been in everything. I mean, I was just looking at his IMDb page and he had like 15 things in production or like pre-production or something. So. He was still getting at it. He was 91 years old, but uh, just sad news. He's you know a great actor. I always love seeing him and stuff. So, just want to send our condolences to Ed Asner's family. And uh, you know, I was just thinking about him because um, it just just happened. But um, we'll move on from the sad news into some other kind of sad news, but on in a different scale here. Um, so the the Nirvana baby, that's what I'm going to call him. I don't know how you, it's a guy named uh, Spencer Eldon. So he was the baby on the cover of Nirvana's Nevermind album, like this iconic album cover where he was in a baby in a swimming pool reaching for a dollar bill, um, is a naked baby. He is suing Nirvana for and, and some other people involved in the album for $150,000 each. Uh, so that's Dave Grohl. Chris Nov- Novoselic and um, Courtney Love, who is the executor of Kurt Cobain's estate, among some other people, uh, because he is now claiming that it amounted to child pornography, um, like that the that the the idea of him of a baby of his naked body as a baby reaching for a dollar bill uh, made it seem like he was a sex worker. <laughs> I can't even get through that sentence without kind of laughing at it. How absurd. Um, 
this cover was meant to be like a commentary on capitalism like as you babies coming out of the wound or like trying to you know reach for money some, something something along those lines and it's generally accepted um in the law by the way in the law that like naked babies um that are not like that are being used for to make some sort of point or commentary are not like in a pornographic manner don't consider even though they're naked aren't considered child porn but anyway uh long like explanation going on what, what was your thought i mean i know you're probably a big nirvana guy we were we're, we're the same age so like yeah you know. we grew up with it yeah yeah i mean <clears throat> i i thought it was clear like like you said like i thought it was such a clear and obvious like statement on capitalism i mean the 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 dollar is even on a, a hook, you know, yeah, like that's the bait a for this baby. Yeah. Um, I thought it was such a clear statement on capitalism, but yeah, I mean, here we are. So I, it's interesting uh, among the people that he's also trying to get money from is uh, the drummer who, who wasn't, wasn't even in the band when yeah. that was, when that was, that was made. He got, he got replaced by Dave Grohl later. Yeah. So, yeah. And so the fact that he's trying to get money after this guy that's not even in the band 30 years later, I think kind of tells you everything you need to know about this. Cause it, it's also interesting because, uh, I mean, this guy recreated the pose on the 10th, well, with swim trunks, obviously on the 10th anniversary of the album, the 17th, the 20th and the 25th anniversary of the album. So he, he didn't have a problem with it then. Now, 30 years later, he does. Um, it's yeah. And I'd like, one of the things that I thought was the funniest part about this is how, like, in, in the article, he says that he tried to get a hold of Dave Grohl, and he got no response, and it's like, well, yeah. Like, I mean, come on, it's Dave Grohl. Like, the guy's got better things to do here. Like, Yeah, I mean, you said it. He's been involved with the band and, like, the commemoration of this album, which is an iconic album, like, um, throughout the year. So he has never – he and apparently in interviews, he has raised at times, like – the idea that it, it's uncomfortable that he was naked in the picture, but he's never like come out and like been criti critical of the band or of anyone involved in the album for, because as, as we pointed out, it was understood to be some sort of commentary. It wasn't meant to be like a taking advantage of a naked baby and his parents, by the way, like gave permission and were paid not much, but were paid dollars. Yeah. Which yeah. is, <laughs> which is an astonishingly low amount. But I mean, I guess, you know, this was like early nineties. So, um, yeah, but they were paid for the, his involvement and whatever. I just think it's, uh, it's nuts to claim that this is somehow pornographic. Like if you want to say that, like, you know, you feel violated after all these years, like you've kind of tolerated it, you know, you've tried to like, but you know, now you just kind of like, maybe you just try and explain it in a way that like, where you feel like your frame of mind has changed. Maybe people still won't buy it. It seemed seem like a cash grab, which I don't think there's any way around it. it seemed like a cash grab, but it just seems so like a stupid thing to say. Like, you know, this is somehow he was being treated like a sex worker because he's reaching for a dollar bill. Like that, that's an absurd way to like frame this. You know, you're you're not fooling anyone. Like, come on, man. You know, like give me a better give me a better argument than that. Yeah, I agree. And I, I'm sure in his mind, he probably thinks, um, you know, this this album blew up, the band blew up, they made a ton of money off of this, and my parents got $200. So I'm sure he probably does want more money. But I mean, to go this route where your defense is that it's child pornography is kind of wild. And another thing I just wanted to mention is like, 
also in 2016, he, in an interview, he, he stated himself that he was proud to be a part of something so iconic and special. So yeah, it's, yeah. If, if I feel like if Kurt Cobain were still alive, like this wouldn't be happening. Like, you know, this is like an easy, you know, I, I, I feel like he was the, you know, the, the driving force behind the sort of Nirvana's commentary on stuff through their music and through the album. I feel like, yeah, like if he were alive, I don't know. I don't know that this kid is like, he's not a kid. He's probably older than us, but actually he's probably a little bit younger than us. Yeah. I, I didn't see his age in the article I read, uh, but if he was a baby, what was this, 1991? He's probably like 37. Or, yeah, no, no, he'd be like. Or no, he's probably 30. Yeah, yeah. He'd be like a little bit younger than us. Yeah. Yeah. Early 30s. But anyway, yeah. I just It's just such a silly thing to like be popping up now. Like, you know, and and, it, and it's interesting yeah. that this is happening now because, and I don't want to get too far down this road, but Apple, uh, we don't, neither of us have an iPhone, but Apple is like rolling out this like ability to basically monitor anyone's phone for child pornography. So like they can like any pictures that are uploaded to the iCloud or whatever, they can like if they suspect or if they have their AI that like reads them as child porn, like they can basically like go in and like shut your phone down or something like that or report you to the cops. It's kind of this very controversial like new software they're rolling out in their phones to like try and catch child porn. So it's like interesting that this is happening right here. I don't know if like that's timed up in a way where people are thinking about it. But, um, I mean, yeah. it's a serious yeah. problem and this is sort of minimizing it in a way like child porn in, in oh, this day definitely. is a horrible, serious problem, way worse than it ever used to be because of the internet. So yeah, it's I, making, it's making little, like the defense of it being child pornography is, is definitely making, uh, casual of, a, of, a, of a very serious problem for sure. And, and, if, and that's a good point that you bring up if Kirk, if Kirk Cobain was alive, I mean, that's fair to wonder that. But yeah, if this now if this if this album never blew up and you know the band doesn't get so big, this isn't even a story. Like yeah, and and like not only is this if he wins, which I don't think he'll win. I don't think he'll has much of a, a case here. But if he wins in court, say like this would forever eliminate people using like an, a baby as an artistic expression, even a non naked like even a half naked baby, like a baby with like. You know, because people, anytime they did that, they'd be opening themselves to a lawsuit later down when the yeah. kid becomes an adult. So even if it's just like a, that baby with like diaper on, like you can still consider that child porn, you know, like someone could consider, yeah. you know what I mean? So like if he it wins, a, yeah. it'll like eliminate all real art- artistic expression, expression around using a baby that is not fully clothed, you know? So it's like, you know, I don't I don't know what to say about that. Like, I can't think of like how people would use that, but you know, like I think that that should be, people should be open to making real art, you know, not, not porn with, with babies, you know, like, or pictures of babies. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. It opens a, a realm of possible, of other possible lawsuits and, and no one's going to want to work with that. So yeah. <laughs> but, uh, for, well, let's, let's go on to the next story we're going to cover from, from a baby to, <laughs> executives who i might call some babies no i'm just kidding um so espn has officially pulled rachel nichols off the air now we covered this story a while ago i believe this was the last story one of the last stories pat and i covered before he he uh, moved on but um just to quickly recap i'm not going to jump in the whole thing but rachel nichols was recorded last summer last 
year during the um, NBA bubble in Orlando, uh, she was secretly recorded or mistakenly recorded. It wasn't like someone secretly did it. She just accidentally left her camera on making some comments to a friend of hers who was um, a really close, uh, a really close friend or business partner to LeBron um, about how she was upset that like she was going to get potentially get taken off NBA coverage, the NBA finals coverage in the bubble for in favor of Maria Taylor, who was this uh, up and coming black woman who was like their NBA host um, in studio host for their pre and uh, halftime show pregame and halftime show. Anyway, her comments amounted to the, Can I just interrupt you real fast? Because I, ha- I have her quote, which is something I wanted to from, bring up. So, from the from the uh, the from leaked the, the yeah. yeah yeah go ahead yeah read that her full quote because I, I thought this was interesting and I was going to bring this up is it says I wish Maria Taylor all the success in the world. She covers football. She covers basketball. If you need to give her more things to do because you are feeling pressure about your crappy longtime record on diversity, which by the way I know personally from the female side of it. Like, go for it. Just find it somewhere else. You are not going to find it from me or take my things away. Yeah. That, so I'm glad you read that because um, at the time, I actually agree with Rachel Nichols here. I think that, like, she has been in ESPN a long time. She fought really hard and became, like, they're one of their premier basketball journalists. Um, but anyway, they have officially now taken her off there. They canceled her very popular journalist. Uh, daytime at weekly uh or daily sorry daily nba show the jump which i actually liked a lot and i would watch um i would watch not the full show but clips on youtube and stuff and she is like no longer going to cover any nba stuff which was all she really did and she still has like a year or so left on her contract so i don't know what they're going to do with her but they have not said if they're going to put her onto any, anything new, I don't know. Um, but Cody, we didn't get to talk to you. I haven't gotten to talk to you since the whole, this whole story broke like a couple months ago. Uh, what were your thoughts on Rachel Nichols and this whole scandal? And then her being like taken off of ESPN essentially, at least for the time being. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to read that quote is because in that quote, she, and first of all, first off, we need to take into into account that, she was having a what she thought was a private conversation about her own work. I mean, we all do that. We all talk about our work, you know, yeah. and private conversations. And then this gets leaked out. So, but I wanted to read that statement because in that statement, she talks about the political climate. I mean, she makes uh, observations on the political climate, but nothing in that is racist. And for her to get taken off and, you know, like that is shocking. I, I actually, like, if you want to, if you really want to like point the finger, uh, so to speak, with her statements, it really just kind of exposes ESPN as hypocrites because ESPN knew about these. Sta- didn't, didn't they know about these statements for like a full year? Like they sat on it for a year or basically until it came out? Uh, I don't know. I thought so, I had read somewhere that some of, some of the executives at ESPN knew about these statements, but they didn't. Maybe because she made them in the bubble, which was – September, October, November time frame. Yeah. Right? Uh, so she was staying in Orlando in a hotel room in the bubble. They were accidentally recorded because she left her camera and mic on. 
and then some some like just some random staffer at ESPN saw the recording and then forwarded it to Maria Taylor and some other people and that's how it kind of but I, I don't I think they did sit on it but like nobody knew about it until much later when like this person forwarded it to people and then people other like of their talent you know got yeah. upset so like Maria Taylor found out she got upset obviously like Jalen Rose apparently found out about it got upset some other like very prominent you know people got upset about this and I agree it's not racist but there definitely is like an element of race yeah to no, what she's saying she's saying that. like she's yeah. she basically is saying she's getting the job because she's black you yeah know, no she's it's, definitely it's minimizing what her overall comment was but that's basically what people took out of it yeah and and I understand like you know uh especially like in this age where you know it, like you can call yourself an ally and everything like an ally to the, to the black lives matter movement. And then to like have a statement like that, where you um, basically imply that, you know, this girl got the job because of her skin color. Yeah. That's not really like you say you're an ally. That's not a nice thing to say, but I mean, that being said, I just think ESPN had a, cause you can, it's clear when, when this was going on in the bubble, like, yeah. Um, or not, the NBA was um, definitely focusing on social justice. You know, they were letting players wear messages on the backs of their shirt. And, and that was awesome. Like, I, I, I support that. You know, if, if fans want to stop watching because of that, then that's on them. Like, I mean, you got to get the message and the support out there somehow. But I, I don't think that what Rachel Nichols said was that wrong. I, I, I think – or I not not wrong, but I I think there is truth in that. Like that was the direction they were going, and I would not be surprised if that was taken into consideration by ESPN. Okay, like her skin color, let's get her on the sideline. But that's that's on that's on ESPN. I mean, that's they're pushing that narrative. Uh, that makes them hypocritical. You know what I mean? That's that's the way I look at it. I don't. I mean, they're like. They're ex- at this point they're responding to backlash, right? They're, I don't know if they're pushing a narrative, but um, you know, it's just like I really think Rachel Nichols kind of had a point. She had been at ESPN a long time, right? Like she was at ESPN. She left for CNN for a few years and then came back. And she is besides like besides Woj, besides Adrian Wojnarowski, who's like the premier. Oh, she is like one of the biggest in the NBA. Yeah. But like Woj is like the premier basketball insider. Like he's the guy who breaks all the news, you know, like with trades or, you know, free agents or whatever, you know, that's Woj. But she is like, she gets all the interviews. Yeah. She does. Like she is one of the premier basketball reporters in the country. Like period. Um, she does interviews with all the high profile players. Like she is there and she was the, like basically founded and like hosted this show, the jump for years now. So for them to just sort of discard all that for this comment that was sort of, you know, meant to be made in private, just sort of venting frustration to a friend, you know, and is really being taken out of context in so many ways by the broader public. Cause nobody's really listening to her whole statement or considering it. Yeah. A lot of people don't even really know Rachel Nichols, right? Like, they I don't, think most people don't even read the articles. They just read the headline these days. Well, you know? I mean, so but they like, don't get the full. Yeah. If you didn't like follow Rachel Nichols or you haven't watched ESPN, like you, you would have taken that statement as like, oh, a white woman saying a black woman yeah. got a job because she was black. But if you if you followed Rachel Nichols through her career, like she's 
been at ESPN a long time. She had to work hard to become like their premier basketball journalist. So like she has a point that she, you know, she had suffered through, you know, when the times when like the only female jobs at ESPN were the sports center anchors, you know, like they didn't have, or the sideline, you know, the, the, the pretty sideline of reporter at football or basketball games, you know, like they didn't have people like leading the journalism for a given, um, for a given sport or females leaving, you know, that was like when she was at ESPN the start. So, you know, complicated situation. I feel bad. I hope that they don't just dump her, you know, like they don't just like completely. She, she seems, she, she said, stay tuned as if, um, she, she wrote like a nice message on Twitter and she said, stay tuned as if like something more might be coming. Like she might be moving to do something different, but Canceling the jump is a terrible idea. I don't know why you cancel. I, I like the jump too. I agree with you. Like I don't know why and you one, just bring in a new host of it. I, I uh, that's a terrible idea. One other thing I forgot to mention that like I wanted to say just because it also kind of like is why I, I I guess I sympathize with uh, Rachel Nichols is I believe it was in her contract to cover the finals. Like it was in her contract, and then they made so. I mean, that's I don't know. You might be right, but I don't know if it was like stipulated exactly what her position in coverage would be. You know, because yeah, I think she wanted. I think the the what she wanted to be was the studio host of the show, which had been Marriott Taylor had been doing for a while, and they were gonna put her as a sideline reporter or something like that. I, I don't remember exactly, but it didn't. I don't know that it specified what she was doing there, like. I think she felt like they were going to try and minim- minimize her role in the NBA Finals in favor of Maria yeah. Taylor versus versus like you know her being one of the primary hosts. I don't know, but yeah, sad story. I, I'm really disappointed by this drama at ESPN for sure. Yeah, it seems like there's always drama at ESPN these days. But um, let's you know we're gonna move from one basketball story and talk about like our first uh you know, movie here, or it's a, a mini documentary. Um, this also about basketball, a very significant event in the history of basketball. Uh, untold the malice at the palace. It, Untold is a new documentary series on Netflix. Um, each is like a different story. So they're each their own documentary. Basically, this is like just over an hour long, uh, story, a uh, movie about the malice at the palace, which a primer for those who don't know was in, 2004 a giant brawl occurred in uh, at an Indiana Pacers and Detroit Pistons basketball game in Detroit where you know players went into the stands and started like fighting with uh, fighting with fans who were throwing things at them and it was this like really dark spot on like basketball um, in the history of basketball it was a huge story at the time it still is one of the most like infamous moments in basketball history um before we even talk about the movie, Cody, like, what do you remember of that, of the, the Mouse of the Palace? Like, you're kind of like, you, I'm sure you hate the Pistons and the Pacers because you're a Cavs guy. They're in the same uh, division. Like, what, what, what was your memory of that? Yeah, I wasn't super, I was a casual NBA fan back then. Um, I wasn't as big of an NBA fan as I was, or as I am now. But, I mean, yeah, it was, it was huge. It, like, it was on CNN, you know, it wasn't just on ESPN. It was on CNN, um, discussions about it. And so sort of 
what what was interesting it, that this documentary did because from what i remember of it is it all of the talk and the media seemed to point the finger at the players and this documentary sort of uh gives the players their time to explain their side of the story but yeah from what i remember it was definitely one-sided it was the players fault uh all that and and i, I like i'll be honest i wasn't i didn't like uh like back then, uh, in that time frame, I didn't like Ron Artest or Meta World Peace. You know when he changed his name, I was I didn't like him. I was never a fan. And in this documentary, he he owns up to some of the things. So I mean, yeah. I was sort of surprised, but yeah. that was my memory of it. I remember I was in college. I was a freshman in college. I just like started my freshman year, and um, that was back when like we would watch sports. We didn't watch the news, right? Like we watched Sports Center. Or we watch ESPN all the time. So like often you just have Sports Center going. So like that was huge news. And like I just remember I don't remember like my instant reactions to it, but I just remember seeing it. And um as you pointed out, this documentary, the interesting it do- thing it does is like it made me realize that I never really heard from any of the players about this. Like you only ever heard the side of the story that was portrayed in the media, right? Like you never heard because they never did. They never spoke about it, really, until this documentary, at least in a detailed way. Um, the, this documentary bills itself as, like, revealing unseen footage before. I don't know if that's true. I feel like it didn't really show me anything that I hadn't, I didn't remember seeing before. Um, maybe there's some, like, some security footage, footage, but it's it's not, like, it's not the best footage. Like, all the footage that's yeah. the best footage of it. Is stuff that I recall having seen. It's like the most famous footage of it. So I don't know exactly what was new and what was like never released to the public or not, but it didn't seem like a big difference to me. Um, so there's that. But overall, I really like this documentary. Uh, like I, I like how they walk you through. They they focus on the three players, the three most prominent players in the brawl, which are um, as you mentioned, Ron Artest, who is. We're gonna call him Ron Artest, but you know he changed his name to Meta World Peace, which is stupid. But um, yeah, we're gonna call him Ron Artest because that was his name at the time, and I refused to call him Meta World Peace. Uh, Steven Jackson, who has been like in the headlines a lot last year during the uh, the Black Lives Matter protests and whatnot, and then um, Jermaine O'Neal. It focuses on mainly on them. They're the three main interviews of the movie. Ben Wallace also gets a, a sort because he was kind of the somewhat of an instigator in this whole thing but um i didn't realize he was only six foot nine because he he played so physical ben wallace just, yeah yeah i mean jermaine o'neill is small I, I, you know before we get into like yeah one thing i could jermaine o'neill and ben wallace i don't think they could play in the nba today like because they were big men yeah. and there's just no like they can't shoot there's no room in the nba for for guys who are less than se- seven foot tall and can't shoot i feel like you know yeah um you know, look what's happening to Ben Simmons, and he can do so many other things. And like, you know, he he can do so many other things that Jermaine O'Neal and and Ben Wallace can't, but he can't shoot. So, anyway, uh, yeah. So like, it focuses on them, and as you said, that's the most interesting part. It walks you through like their careers up to that point. It walks you through the Pacers. Um, Reggie Miller gives a prominent voice in this as well. It walks you through how the Pacers were like a championship contender. You know, this was Reggie Miller's final season, which I completely forgot. And, um, yeah, I didn't realize that, uh, 
I mean, yeah, that's sad because so, so many of those players got suspended for 30, 25 it, games, whatever. I mean, and it and ruined their season. Yeah. It, Reggie, it, Reggie probably would have been an NBA champion if this never happened. Yeah, I didn't realize they that. were, they were selling it that way, but let, like, but I think he would have been, let's be honest. Like they would have been contenders. They were in the Eastern conference finals the year before. Um, they were probably a better team because they had more time to gel as a team, but yeah, you know, whether they would have won who will never know, but you know, he would have had a shot to go out as a champion, Reggie Miller, you know, one of the greatest players ever, but this walks you through it up to the point of the brawl. It gives you background on the players. And as you said, it's fascinating. Ron Artest particularly is so candid. Like he, the way he, he's, he's very open about the struggles he was going through with his mental health. Yeah. Um, Depression, anxiety. Yeah. Like how he was a bad teammate, how he was a selfish. He's very, open and honest about all that, which I found fascinating. It made the documentary so much better that he was like willing to, it seemed like, you know, he didn't really, I don't know. It seemed so nonchalant the way he was just saying like how depressed he was. And man, it, it was very interesting to hear his perspective as well as Jermaine O'Neal, who was by far the best player of the three. Um, I, I mean, I recall Jermaine O'Neal. He was a star. He was an NBA all-star. He was a really good player before this brawl and he kind of just fell off after it and i don't know how much the brawl had to do with it whether he was like you know just sort of disregarded or if his play really fell off a lot but he was like a really good nba player before that but um yeah i really like this documentary and it's not that long it's only just over an hour uh so it's it's easy to get through but you know it was really fascinating yeah i wasn't like the one thing I'll say is I wasn't really like blown away like style wise of the documentary. Like nothing they did was like, you know, game changing. Inventive, yeah. There's nothing yeah, new here. But like the main thing is the content in this in this documentary. Uh like and like I said before, just how you get the player's perspective. But I mean th- like there were some very like I, I, I don't wanna like spoil too much, but like the one thing that I like You can't really spoil was, it. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, we all know true. what happened, yeah. Yeah. I, well like so the thing that started it was the the cup, right? Ron Artest goes and well, he lays on the bench. But it's after the brawl, after uh, yeah, after the shove, shoving and all. Well, that. and I, that's what I was gonna say is like I like how they walk you through the whole sequence of events. So they point out that like Ben Wallace and Ron Artest got into a little bit of a scrap because Ron Artest hard, fouled him hard at the end of a blowout, right? And Ben Wallace didn't like that. Ben Wallace was like had just gone through some personal issues he his brother had died so like he was you know in a bad frame of mind and they like start pointing out how ben wallace started throwing things at them you know he was like these headbands or whatever was yeah so i like how they like show that that maybe like an influence the crowd state of mind right but but the whole yeah, brawl the whole brawl was really by the cup being thrown from the stands yeah because ron artest goes and he lays down on the scorer table which, you know, people view while all this scuffling is going on, it's viewed as disrespectful. He's laying down on the score on the score table and then someone throws a cup at him. And so, like, but I, no one would have known this unless this documentary comes out. Ron Artest says that, you know, he was seeing a therapist several times a week. And one of the things that his therapist told him to do to deescalate when when something's happening like that is to lay down like count to five, take deep breaths, all that stuff. And that's what he did. He laid down, but he laid down on the scorer table and then, and then the cup comes thrown at him. And then that's, you know, it's game yeah. over in the stands. 
But yeah, we would have never gotten that information. So I thought that was interesting. And like Reggie Miller also brings up a good point. Uh, and, you know, hand in the air, I'm totally guilty of this. I've done this before, <laughs> what he's talking about. He says the fans uh, that were down on the, on like close to the court were the same because the game was a blowout at that time. Yeah. So the fans down there are the ones that trickled down. Yeah. And we've all done the empty that. seats. I've done that. Yeah. yeah. Um, they took the empty seats, but they, you know, it's a Friday night. They were drunk, rowdy. And yeah, so the fans, it wasn't even the regular season ticket holders that were down there. Is, is So that that was interesting too. But, I, and then like, no, go ahead. Oh, I just feel like ultimately like, uh, and also we need to talk about that cup guy a little later, <laughs> but like, uh, his name was John green, <laughs> terrible dude, terrible, terrible, terrible guy. They asked him if he feels bad, like he feels no remorse over it at all. Because uh, Ron Artest actually goes and swings at his friend, and they ask him if he feels bad about that, and and he goes, "No, I'm glad it wasn't me." And to be like, clear, oh. to be clear, this was like a news interview that he did like around the time when he got caught. This was not yeah. like they did not interview this guy for the movie. I don't. I think they probably tried and they just couldn't get him. But because they got some of the fans who were who were involved in like the whole thing, um, particularly this it's one just, guy who tried to like. Tried to throw down with Ron Artest and got his ass kicked, but uh, yeah. I don't. I just feel like you know, like if if this were today, like, like let's be real. John, his name was John Green. He's definitely a piece of crap. Like I feel like this dude probably stormed the Capitol as well as storming the court. You know, like yeah. Uh, but like, and then like the the fans that were like throwing you know popcorn and all this stuff, like they were they were keyboard warriors before that existed you know mm-hmm. what i mean like in these days they're definitely the ones on message boards like talking all this crap you know they'll throw popcorn at them when they're in the stands you know and their safety and then the, i love how the players natural instinct to all this like throughout the documentary their natural instinct is to go back and watch the tape like that's such a like a player coach thing <laughs> <laughs> i i like you kind of pointed this out like it, this whole documentary reframes the conversation around like the um how culpable the fans were in this whole scenario. And and they, and it's not just from the perspective of the players, because obviously they blame the fans. Um, but Jermaine O'Neal accepts responsibility, right? He, he says he's the only one who really says it, that he like he deserved to be punished for his role in the whole thing. Steven Jackson nor Ron Artest really say anything about to that end. But um the like the prosecutor from Detroit, the who is the the, the district attorney from Detroit like people who work for the Pistons, like there were a bunch of people who point out that the fans were seriously culpable, particularly the guy who threw the cup, but also like this guy who like ran onto the court and tried to fight Ron Artest and got punched in the oh, face. I love that guy. Like, that guy you know, was, he like, was a character. The, yeah, he, he's interviewed in this movie and um, you know, he says Ron Artest sucker punched him. I don't know how he sucker punches you when you run up and you squared up with him with your fist clenched. That's what the the the... The uh, the district attorney says like you know he ran on the fort ran onto the court went right up to Ron Artest with his fist clenched Ron Artest had every right to punch the guy to defend himself but um yeah like I, I do like how this this finds the fans a little bit more culpable than like we ever were talked about in the past and and that to that point it doesn't really change my opinion because one I don't really recall exactly what I thought when this happened at the time but I do have the sense of like. I never fully blame the players because he did get a cup thrown at him that hit him squarely. You know, like it's not right for him to run into the stands and start kicking ass, but like the fans deserved, they started it, right? Like they're the ones yeah. who started it and they never, 
they never got like any real uh, culpability from from the media at large, right? Like no one ever said, wait a minute, like it's not okay for fans to throw shit. It's not okay for the players to go fight fans in the stands, but it's not okay for them to throw shit. No one ever really made that sort of argument as I recall at the time, you know, and we're, and it's interesting because we're having that conversation a lot now, you know, like Russell Westbrook had, when they played the Sixers in the playoffs, you know, someone dumped popcorn on him. He flipped the fuck out. And the only conversation was how terrible the fan was and not how, absurd Russell Westbrook's reaction to getting just some popcorn dumped on him was, you know, but like it's different now. Like right now we're, we're talking about how the players need to be protected from the fans versus then it was like the opposite conversation. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and like, and another thing too, that I just remembered is I remember Steve, Steven Jackson in the documentary said that he never even had a conversation with David Stern. Like yeah. they never, there was never their, their point of view. I, I feel like was just, Swept under the rug and not even considered. Like, I, I actually don't like have a problem with how David Stern handled it in terms of discipline. Like, I think it was fair, but to not give them the opportunity to speak out and tell their side of the story seemed to have uh, killed any like reasonable debate, not debate, but like conversation we should have had around this issue, how the fans were culpable, right? Like, because they never got a voice. So we never heard the player's perspective of what happened, you know? And then someone else points out, I think it was Reggie Miller or something like there was no security at all. Like no three officers. There was like no cops. No, like you would never find that now. Like there's security. You could never do that. Now there was no security to like prevent the, the fans from coming onto the court. There was no one, no security to run up and like grab the guy who threw the cup, you know, or protect or prevent the players from going up. It's crazy to think about because now you go to one of these games, there's those people in those yellow shirts, you know, who are I don't want to necessarily call them security, but they're like meant to sort of throw people out if they have to, or yeah, or like ushers or prevent like yeah. people from doing exactly what happened, or like call out you know bad actors in the crowd. And there's cops everywhere, you know. So like, yeah, this would never happen in in today's climate. Like at least I don't think it would. You know, you never know until it does happen. But well, yeah. I mean to be. <laughs> I do feel like, uh, you know, at least we're progressing a little bit, you know, back then, back in 2004, players were fighting fans. Now we just have fights breaking out in the stands all the time. So it's progression. Now fans (laughs) just kick each other's ass. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, yeah, actually I, I really like this movie. Uh, like I said, it's not that long and I thought it was an interesting, different perspective than the one I ever remember hearing. Cause you know, you get the player's perspective here and, um, you know, Steven Jackson is now a known anti-Semite after some of the stuff he said <laughs> last year. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it definitely makes me respect their positions a little bit more, particularly Ron Artest and, and Jermaine O'Neal um, come off a lot better because of how candid they are and how much, you know, what what the way they say, the way they describe their their role in the whole event and, and just, you know, their states of mind. So... I do recommend people watch this. I think it's I think it's good, you know, for for a little over an hour, it's worth it's worth your time. Particularly if you're a basketball fan or if you have some Even sort if you of, didn't yeah. if you didn't remember it or you uh, you know, weren't alive when that originally happened. I I still recommend it. Yeah. But yeah, good piece of entertainment, mind told, in my opinion. Um but let's take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk about brand new cherry flavor, a new limited series from Netflix. Stay tuned. 
Welcome back. Now we're going to talk about a new limited series from Netflix called Brand New Cherry Flavor. This is based on a novel by a guy named Todd Grissom. Grimsom, sorry, Todd Grimsom. It's a uh, basically I don't want to spoil too much in the we're going to say spoiler alert, but uh, I don't want to spoil too much in just the intro here. But a a woman is moving cross country to LA to be a filmmaker. She made a short film. She connects with this guy who's a sort of has been but used to be famous producer to make a sh- to make a short movie that she made in college into a feature film. And so now she she's going to make this movie with this guy and she kind of gets screwed over and then some weird shit starts to happen. Uh is the best way I can describe mm-hmm. it. This is sort of like a horror thriller kind of genre. And I wanted to I'm glad I had you this week not only because we're talking about basketball, but also you're a big horror fan, right? Like you you grew up watching horror movies. You're like you're into that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So glad to have your perspective. We only watched the first two episodes, eight episodes in the uh, mini series. Um, what did you think of the first two episodes of Brand New Cherry mm-hmm. Flavor? I'm sort of like lukewarm to it. Like I'm interested in the storylines that they introduce, but like I I'll, I'll say. <clears throat> This is kind of like the type of show where you wait until, and granted, the whole season dropped at the same time, but like it's kind of the type of show where you wait and see if it gathers some buzz, if people are talking about it, or like the reviews to decide if you want to invest your time in it. Because so far, I'm interested, but I can also see it like, where's it going to go? I I can see it dropping off. So, yeah. I I agree with you. This has, it's been a slow build, which I actually like. I like the pace of how things are building. But with that said, it's hard to make a judgment off of two episodes because it's it sets some stuff up, which seems like it'll be interesting going forward. But it's not like we haven't gotten there yet. So I, I don't know how to judge it off of two episodes as uh, fully. Um, I will say this. The stars, Rosa Salazar is the main character here. She was in this movie, Alita Battle Angel, which was a Robert Rodriguez movie from a few years ago that was really not the best movie, but it was really cool. It did some really inventive things with the CGI and uh, motion capture and stuff like that. Um, and then uh, also Catherine Keener and this guy named Eric Lang, who's like a character actor you've seen around in different TV he's shows. In Narcos. I think he was. Yeah. Ill. Yeah. He's yeah. been, he was the CIA guy in Narcos. Um, he's been in a lot of stuff. You've seen him around. And then Manny Jacinto, who I want to shout out because he was Jason in The Good Place. So he's, you know, he's hilarious in The Good Place. But um, different role from him here, completely different. But uh, yeah, it's like I loved the at first. I thought the first episode for me was a little slow. Like I was, I knew that this. I didn't know a lot about this. I knew it was like a horror sort of fantasy thriller. Like it was supposed to be kind of scary and like and something like that. But the first episode. Uh-huh builds really slowly like and at first i was like i don't know where this is going but then i kind of saw where it was going and i, I enjoyed it a lot more i don't know how you felt about that 
I'm kind of the opposite. And, and since you brought up the actors, I do want to say uh, Rosa Salazar, she killed it. Like, she is yeah. awesome in this. The actors like, are good. I, I think I've never seen Alita, but, like, I'm kind of a fan. Like, she was pretty good. Like, she did awesome, like, just showing, like, the tension that, you know, like, she experiences as a female and, and director in Hollywood. And there's moments where she's kind of, like, tweaked out on. Yeah. She's, like, high. The weird stuff of the show. Yeah. And she did a really good job, like you know, acting Portraying, throughout yeah. all of that. But uh, I was kind of the opposite. Like, the first episode I enjoyed, I enjoyed the slow buildup. Like, I thought they... That's what I'm saying. I actually, I did like that, yeah. Um, to this character, Boro, who's... Um, Catherine Keener. I don't know. I guess you could say she's, like, kind of into witchcraft and stuff. She's like a witch doctor or um, something. Yeah. yeah. We, it's re- and, yet to be kind of revealed exactly what she is. But then it was episode two where I was, I was kind of... Um, taken out of it uh it, it, because there's so much weird stuff that happens in this show and everyone's response to it is just like it's just nonchalant like oh yeah this is normal this is normal like oh you're gonna put a curse on this guy cool like well and I don't, it's yeah i don't know if they're being nonchalant is like they everyone thinks that she, she is she is basically like high for the entire second episode you know she's uh yeah and i think they just all dismiss her like they they just think it's like she's high and this is a joke. Well, I don't think I don't they're like know. nonchalant in the way that like, I mean, I see some of the, some of the stuff you're saying, um, like particularly when she breaks into the guy's house, but, um, I don't know if there's being nonchalant so much as like, they just sort of like think she's nuts. Like she's, she's did some Coke and she's like just a high off her you know mind or something like that. Yeah. Um, all right. Can we do a spoiler alert here? Oh, we did. I already did one. We do. Okay. One. All right. All right. Yeah, I mean, there's this part where she she's in, she's in the jail and like, you know, because she has been seeing Bora, this this like witch doctor, and she pukes a cat. She pukes a cat. Well, that's the mouth. second time she pukes a cat. Second time, yeah. And the the police officer just like comes by and scoops the cat no, out of the that jail. No, that guy cell. that like, guy worked happens. for that guy worked for Boro. That was one of the creepy weird guys. Oh, he was hired by her. No, that was one of the creepy when she goes the oh. first when she first meets her in her little jungle greenhouse place whatever like yeah. she he's he was one of the weird creepy like people around you know there's one guy who's like a zombie there's another guy who's just like this really yes, like albino yeah. guy like I guess she I didn't catch it that, that he was yeah, it was yeah, it was one of them dressed up like a cop it came and like knew that she was gonna do that and picked up the cat so it wasn't a cop just doing that yeah but i still like, i don't know it's just weird for me how everyone's like it's all just normal to them. Even like, yeah. But like the one thing I want to say about this show is like, I kind of like, cause there is like an oddness to it. Like, uh, just like odd zoom in on like weird body parts or the weird artwork. Everything's like weird. Like the tattoos they're getting are like meant to be taboo and all this stuff. And it's, it's just like embracing the sort of odd, uh, culture, I guess. And and sort of like visually shocking things. But like, I just, the one thing I, where I'm at with this show is I just wonder like, are all these odd things, like, are they going to play into like the plot and the tone of it? Or is it just like a sort of clickbait, like visually shocking? Hey, look at this. This is cool. Like that, that's kind of where I'm at now. And I guess we'll find out, you know, after more than two episodes, but. I mean, I think it's already playing into the sort of strange, this is like a very weird vibe show which I think is like only going to get weirder and scarier. Um, it's not really, 
I called it horror. That's the way it was kind of when I was reading about it. That's the way it was kind of being billed. Um, it's not scary as of yet, but I can see how it could become it. Like there were some scary elements that, yeah. um, particularly the sort of like the spirit world. Yeah. And some like weird monster thing that was showing up in her, like she was having visions of it or something like that. But, um, I, I don't know. It, it's, uh, I to go back to the first episode real quick. Like, I like how it builds, I ended up liking how it builds the relationship between her and this guy. I can't remember his character's name, but Eric Lang, who is the movie producer. Uh, wasn't it Lou Burke? Lou, something? Lou something, yeah. yeah. But, um, like, at first it seems like it genuinely he's he wants to make her movie and he's going to be a mentor to her. And then it devolves into this sort of, oh. Fires tip, her, just steals her movie. Tip, well, not just that, but, like, tries to, like, tries to bang her right like basically wants to like wants to have sex with her thinks that like he can do it because she's beholden to him and then when she turns him down he steals her movie so um which i actually like at first i was thinking is this where they're headed with this you know that seems so cliche but actually it feeds into it fed into the sort of theme of the show for me like i I don't know i I just felt like it, it worked in that on that level but um i i liked how this built over the first two episodes i'm curious to see where it goes i don't know if i love it i'm gonna say i'm gonna watch like the next two episodes so i said it's eight i'd like i'll go halfway and see what happens see how it develops but um i think it's worth at least going that far at least for now just to kind of see how it develops but other than that, it's not. I can't. I can't really recommend it off the first two episodes, at least not yet. I, yeah, and I, I think that's exactly where I'm at with it too. I, like, I'll probably watch two more episodes. You know, see if the plot develops. Uh, yeah, that's about where I'm at. Same. Yeah, was, I mean, like you said, I like all the acting here. I thought Rosa Salazar did a great job. I thought Catherine Keener is coming across so weird and creepy. You know, and this guy Eric Lang is like a good good villain. Um, but uh, it's just, yeah. One, one I like, is- you sort of hinted at it, like like the theme of the show. Um, I do like how when you're introduced to uh, Boro, you know, like this witch doctor person, um, I, I think like Rosa's character thinks like, okay, uh, you know, especially after Eric Lang's character trying to like have sex with her. Like, I think she thinks like, oh, this is a woman, like, you know, I'm safe. But like she's not really like portrayed as like a she yeah on her side either. I it's, mean she's it's like amb- she has, has this same sort of like predator because I mean that's how Eric Lang is portrayed. He, he's this chauvinistic, sexist, privileged male predator, you know, like all that. And then like Boro, like she's not too far off either. She's kind of like a predator taking advantage of people. So it's it's it, that, that's interesting. It's ambiguous whether she's gonna be like a good guy or a bad guy. I, I expect it'll be more down the middle. She will be, yeah. she won't be quite either one, but yeah, it's not quite at first. You kind of see her as like someone who's going to help our, our protagonist, but then it becomes more like, Oh, maybe she's not quite, you know, it's hinted at that. She's maybe like not necessarily the, a good guy. Um, she's definitely weird and creepy, you know? So, but uh, yeah, 
I, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it a little bit longer and see how it goes. And um, you know, maybe we'll report back if it's worth finishing. But uh, I at least think it's worth maybe halfway. Yeah. But um, from that, let's move on to our last uh, fair that we're going to talk about for today. What if episode three? This one is called the world. What if the world lost its mightiest heroes? Um, before we get into talking about this episode specifically, did you watch the first two? Have you been watching this? No. Okay. You have not been watching this, but you you generally kind of keep up with this the Marvel stuff. If I'm, correct. I yeah, I keep up with the movies. Like, all right. So my initial thought to this going in was, what if I just don't watch this and I ask you to turn this into like a Marvel minute? <laughs> or like a you know persuade me why i should watch this. you know what you, you've been listening to kevin's takes say, after, too, you're listening to kevin's takes too much okay after watching this i have the same thought like oh i wasn't a fan i wasn't a fan i don't know and like i'll say i'll you know hands up i'm not the, i'm not really the intended audience for this show like i i never got into anime you know i'm not in that like animated movies unless it's like a feel-good pixar movie or you know something funny like rick and morty um and and i'm like i'm i'm superheroed out like i well like when you said i keep up with marvel like yeah i keep up with the movies but like i haven't seen loki like i'm kind of like i haven't seen wandavision i'm just kind of tired of it all like uh so i probably wasn't the the intended audience for this fair enough i you know this was so spoiler alert on this one um this one is way darker than the other two basically all the original avengers get killed um and I don't want to spoil the ending, but like all of the original Avengers end up dying for um, a specific reason. And uh, yeah, it's, it's like this one compared to the first two is the completely its own thing. Like the first two, the first one really just swaps two characters within the same movie, but it's pretty much the same movie. The second one swaps two characters from different movies and it's it's very different, but it, like it just swapped two characters' places. This one like is the one that sort of introduces a con- completely separate, all new storyline from the beginning, right? So this is like goes back to when Samuel Jackson as Nick Fury is trying to assemble the Avengers, and every time he goes to, like recruit one of them, they get killed, like for um, an unknown reason. And uh, so it's it's pretty dark, honestly. Um, I actually thought it was good because it was so different. Like I, I liked the whole different tone of it. That's not as like fun as the last one was. Um, but it's interesting in that way, like completely this very dark and different turn it takes. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm gonna, I don't, I'm not going to spoil the ending cause it is kind of like, I don't know if I should or not, but I mean, I struggle to get through it. So, like, <laughs> uh, I, I'm not going to, like, you're not going to get too much, like, back and forth uh, from me here. Like, because I, I, I wasn't really a fan. Like, I'll say. Um, That's fine. I, I we can have, probably, we can have, you cannot be a fan of it. Yeah. I think this show is probably perfect for, like, the you know, like, the Marvel fans that are just craving more content. You know, like, they can't get enough. But, like. I uh, yeah I I me personally it's like I think the Marvel universe is so big like 
it's huge it's huge and then to like make another like we're just making content of like well what if this happened in an alternate it's well, it's kind of wild it's like they have enough content well i think that that's interesting though i mean like i actually think that this might appeal to people who who are not um so much on the marvel train anymore because it's it's at least like a different tone it's a different like direction it's not like oh the good guys always win here you know like this is way yeah. this is like a darker you know version of the the universe that has been established um you know the good guys don't win here so and uh some good some people that we previously knew as good guys turn out not to be good guys right like so i think that that's appealing in a certain way to people who maybe like just are tired of the you know the general narrative of like the the avengers and and good guys winning all the time but um you know for a 30 minute episode to you know be this is the one that's like most engaging in the sense of like it's 30 minutes but it's not like we don't feel like we're rehashing another movie right like this yeah. this is so different from what we we knew before so i don't know i I do appreciate that, like you said, like that uh, sort of different direction, you know, of than your typical superhero uh, formula, I guess you would say, like Marvel formula. I, I, I do appreciate that because I should say, I should say that like uh, one of my favorite shows superhero wise, and it just shows in general that I'm into right now, uh, is The Boys. The I boys. love The Boys. I knew you were going to say it, that, The Boys. Yeah, I love that sort of spin on 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 the superhero world. So I do appreciate that they're, you know, doing something different, but uh, I, I still stand where it's like, all right, like I, me personally, it's like, all right, if I want to watch superheroes and I want to watch something different, then I don't need to watch like an alternate universe of Marvel of like, what if, you know, like, I don't know. Fair enough. I mean, I just think it's like a 30 minute animated episode. Like it's, it's easily consumable. You know, it's, it's not a whole movie. It's not, you know, but yeah, the the problem is is they may end up tying all this stuff back into the wider universe somehow. Um, oh, it's definitely short and simple, and that's why I said it's perfect for for those people who uh, you know want more content of Marvel. So like in that sense, it's short, simple, like different stories, perfect for them. Now, one thing before we before we wrap up, I want to talk about this with this uh, episode was, and across most of the the three episodes we had so far, pretty much. M- the cast, the original cast of character of actors are playing the characters that they played in the movies. For the most part, there's been a few exceptions. There's a big one here because she's a main character here is um, Lake Bell. The actress Lake Bell, who I love, is playing the Black Widow instead of Scarlett Johansson. Now, I want to this was this was done like I think pre-pandemic they like recorded this right because Chadwick Boseman had recorded lines for Black for uh, his character before he died, so like this was recorded long time ago. Scarlett Johansson has been in this just you know recently filed a lawsuit against Disney. Yeah. Uh, do you think that they just like replaced her in this episode <laughs> with Lake Bell just as out of spite? Like so they had Lake Bell come in and like record all the lines in the last like month or so since this lawsuit has been filed? I mean, that's a, that's a interesting take. Like I, I, I could totally see that happening. Like I would not be surprised. I could also see Scarlett Johansson maybe just like, 
I don't know, this came across her desk and she was just like, ah, I'm good. You know, like, uh, pass. You I, know, I don't know. It's not unprecedented. It going either way. Like, Chris Evans did not play uh, Steve Rogers in the first episode. So Chris Evans didn't play his character. You know, it, it's been a couple other characters that are prominent characters. Like, Chris Pratt didn't do this. It was very, very brief, but Chris Pratt didn't do um, Peter Quill in the last episode. So, oh, okay. But, like, generally, most of the actors are reprising. Like, in this one, you get um, Samuel L. Jackson. You don't get uh, – you don't get Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, but you do get Mark Ruffalo. So, yeah. like, you, you get uh, Jeremy Renner, Clark Gregg. You get, like, a bunch of the actors playing or doing the voice for their character. Um, but I just thought that, that was very interesting, like, if if that had been done just to spite her. Because it, it, this lawsuit, if you've read some of the recent headlines, is getting very bitter very quickly. Like, yeah. Disney has not been kind to someone who was very big star for them. So uh, I just thought that that was interesting. I could see it happening. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, how hard would it be? If you already rendered all the animation, you literally just have to bring in an actress to read lines, you know, and then match it up with the... Uh, just That's, have... like, something they could do at home, too. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah. here's the... Absolutely. <laughs> like, they could... We're going to send you the, the video just speaking in the mic over there. They had, oh, yeah. An, like, yeah, these actors... This is why, like, animation is such a cake job for actors... Because it's like, yeah, you spend a couple days, you know, on a movie, you spend a couple days reading lines, you know, in different ways. Like on a show like this, you probably spend like a day, a few hours, maybe like yeah. reading lines, you know, you just read lines in a couple different ways and then they take what they want. So I thought, I thought, you know, they could do it. They could have done it. You know, if the whole animation is rendered and all that, like it could, it wouldn't have been that hard to just sub out the voice. Yeah, yeah, you're starting to convince me. I'm starting to lean more that it probably was spite. I'm but. curious if there are going to be like articles coming out, um, <laughs> you know, about this whole situation or Scarlett Johansson's and be like, I'm never talking to Lake Bell ever again, you know, <laughs> you know, something like that. But yeah, anyway, um, you know, obviously you're off this train, so I'm going to just speak for myself here. Uh, I, I like this one, um, you know. I think it's worth watching. It's just like the one that's of of the three we've had so far, the most like different, the most like new and uh, the most bold, the boldest take really, because it's so dark. So I I think it's worth a watch. You know, it's again, 30 minute episodes, they're one-offs. So you don't have to like worry about following the, the story in the next episode or the next movie or whatever. So yeah, I think, I think it's worth a watch. But with that, we'll wrap it up for this week. Um, Cody, thanks for coming back and joining me again for our, yeah. our chat about basketball and uh, and scary, not scary, but horror stuff. Um, and I'm counting what if as a horror thing here because, you know, all, <laughs> all these guys die, you know. But, um, yeah, thanks for coming back. Next week, going to be talking about this movie on Hulu, John Cena comedy vacation friends it's getting a little bit of buzz as well as shang chi and the legend of the ten rings so new marvel movie cody's in for this right i've i've seen the trailer and i'm not like just from the trailer i'm not i'm not intrigued yeah because he hates asian people you know (laughs) yeah that's this is why cody does not want to see this because he hates asian people um (laughs) 
And uh, finally, we're going to talk about What If Episode 4. So, you know, stay tuned for that next week. Uh, I can't wait to talk about it with my next guest co-host. Um, but you can catch us on Instagram at schmuckingaround. Email us, schmuckingaroundpodcast at gmail.com. Or just visit the website, www.schmuckingaround.com. You know, leave us a voice note. Let us know what you think. Uh, can't wait to talk to you guys next week. See you then. But did you see the look on that on that fan's face when he's when he came onto the court? Like you can see the exact moment where he's like, "Oh man, I fucked up." Like <laughs> yeah. the look on his face. Like, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah.